Welcome to this episode of the SIFMA podcast. I'm Ken Benson, president and CEO of SIFMA and your host. The financial markets and wealth and the wealth management industry are undergoing a paradigm shift and as the face of the retail investor likewise evolves. Today, I'm joined by Sabrina Bailey, Global Head of Investment and Wealth Management at Refinitiv, a London Stock Exchange Group business. Refinitiv is one of the world's largest providers of financial markets data and infrastructure, with over 40,000 customers and 400,000 end users across 190 countries. Refinitiv powers participants across the global financial marketplace. With this rich background of market-leading data, enhanced digital tools, and actionable insights, Sabrina is uniquely positioned to talk about the three key shifts in wealth management that are being driven by data and analytics, digitization, hyper-personalization, and self-directed investing. So with that, Sabrina, thank you for joining us today. Yes, thank you, Ken. Happy to be here. Great, great. So why don't we go ahead and, and dive in? So maybe let's start off talking about uh, digitization. Uh, digital innovation offers advisors a chance to differentiate themselves in a highly competitive environment. It's important to remember that technology enhances and improves the client experience, but it doesn't necessarily replace the human touch. So Sabrina, how can wealth managers enhance the mobile experience? And is there still a place for face-to-face meetings? Yes, from an enhancement perspective, it's really about going mobile when we think about those enhancements. And enhancing the mobile experience means serving the right information in a way that's easy to digest quickly on the smaller screen of a mobile. In fact, in our 2022 wealth survey, we found that 75% of investors want to engage on a mobile device. Uh, Importantly though, in terms of face-to-face meetings, we also found that almost 50% of investors still expect they will have face-to-face meetings with their advisors. And this is really important because it's gonna be that combination of a mobile experience and a face-to-face experience that really drives the breadth and depth of the advisor and the investor relationship going forward. So, the importance of social media varies uh, across different investor demographics. You know, how important is it for wealth managers to invest in their social media presence? It's a great question. My daughters who are 18 and 20 and I talk about this all the time because their question is, why aren't wealth managers on TikTok? Great question. There are a lot of regulatory challenges associated with being on social media. So the way we think about social media is really a focus on just primary general education. There is still a need for financial education in the market and wealth management firms have the ability and the foundation to provide that education. And then really looking towards brand awareness from a social media standpoint and focusing in those two areas versus direct advice. Given the regulatory environment, given the need for that education, we actually don't see social media as a means for investment advice any time in the near future. Yeah, it's a it's a good point, and it's it's uh, I mean many of the rules, important rules, and uh, yes. investor for investor protection, are really were written before the advent of social media as we know it today, and so it's it's and I you know something that the regulators are having to play catch up with. Um, uh, as is the industry. Um, Investors today, as we know, are looking for holistic wealth solutions and a simplified view of their financial portfolio. What is the future of the investor platform experience and and what should firms and investors alike consider when considering aggregating data from other sources? 
Yeah, as we look at the what we'll call holistic wealth solutions, we are seeing a trend in the market where investors are looking to see all of their information in one place. What's important is how that information is served up. I think about buying something like life insurance, for example. And while I've spent my life in the investment industry, when I got all the information on life insurance, it is wholly complex to me because it's not a place I live and breathe every day. It's very much the same for investors. So being able to engage with them in a way they understand is going to be really important. Um, In addition, the quality of data is key. When we think about that aggregation of assets, the quality of data becomes critical because the data that goes into that advice and feeds back to that investor, if it is not high quality, will give the wrong directional information to the investors in terms of how to manage their portfolio. And then I'd say finally, really looking to build client-centric portfolios, meaning that advisors, both through digital means as well as in-person means, will need to continue to understand what's really important to their end investor in terms of areas of focus, what things will differentiate them. So do they have kids that are moving into college? How do they think about sustainable investing, which everybody describes a bit differently? Everybody has a different leaning towards and really being able to take those components and customize it. The best example I can give I'm a big storyteller is our daughters were purchasing shampoo uh, about a year ago and they were paying twice as much as you would pay in any market. And their, their point was it's customized for me. And I said, what do you mean by customized? And there, they said, they answer 10 questions about their hair type and then they get to pick a color and it's customized. And so they've got to have hundreds of kinds of shampoos. And I said, you do realize, right, that there's probably three different types of shampoo And the customization is just you answering questions. So they're willing to pay more for that. I think that's important because they felt like the company knew them. As an investment industry, we've got to get better at getting to know our customers. Um, And we still have a ways to go from that perspective. Yeah, it's a great example of, 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 uh, I mean, of the sort of the younger generation and their use of technology for virtually everyday activities and and, uh, that, that, um, that, that sometimes I have a hard time figuring out, but 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 they've really they've really created certain efficiencies that we may not see in in some instances. But it but it does show how do you communicate, you know, and 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 what they're going to be looking for. And I, I think your point is that in the wealth management business, that's the next generation you're going to have to figure out how you communicate with. You can't you can't communicate the same way uh, uh, over the telephone or or in the or through the mail or whatever it may be. No, and then just making sure that communication is secure too. As we all know, across the entire financial industry, cybersecurity risk is here. It's actually across every industry. So just understanding how to create those interactions in a very safe way as well from a technology engagement perspective will be critical to the industry going forward. It's where we see a lot of firms making investments today in terms of how to build that direct and secure channel. Right. I mean, that's that's something I was just know. We at SIFMA over the years, particularly around data aggregation, um, have worked with our members in trying to come up with best practices, and then working across the industry with other trades and participants, um, so that uh, it, at the end of the day, to your point, that the 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 end, end investor themselves know, knows that their you know their data is protected. 
um, uh, uh, through, through the use of these tools. Let's maybe s switch to <clears throat> the trend two hyper personalization. You you you, you kind of got into that with the shampoo story a little bit, but the uh, uh, you know historically uh, you know some would argue the personalized experience you know the personalized experience was limited to uh, the number of clients that uh, uh, a wealth manager could serve. Um, however, uh, technologies clearly opened the door on, per on the personalization scale, created more efficiencies. What, what are some of the ways that wealth managers are successfully introducing personalization? One way, and we've seen this, I would argue, over the last five plus years, almost a decade, is just the understanding of what the end investor goals are. It's an easy way to hyper-personalize if you start asking about that. Some of the more innovative ways that we're seeing wealth managers truly understand and hyper-personalize is asking investors about when they want to hear from them. For example, do you want to hear from me in a market downturn? Are you comfortable? At what level are you comfortable not hearing from me? And being able to aggregate that and deploy it in a way so that advisors can see immediately which customers they should call if the market moves by 5%, for example. Um, the other thing we're seeing is actually wealth management firms looking at how to use the data they have in terms of that investor engagement to understand not only what investors say they want, but how they're really reacting in the different market environments, which can trigger a move for an advisor to directly call. So again, it's about taking the data you have about investors and pulling in additional data, then being able to collate it and serve it in a way to advisors that they can spend their time on the highest value add conversation at that point in time. And what those wealth management firms have seen is actually different people want to engage at different points in times. There are some periods where investors are in a stage of their life where there's not a lot of change and the portfolio is meant to do just what it's meant to do, which is grow their assets over time. So there's relatively little inner um, engagement, sorry, but then a new job change comes up. And very quickly, no engagement turns into a significant amount of engagement as they're thinking about what does the new compensation mean? Am I moving? What are the different tax implications, et cetera? So really getting to know those key points in time um, as an industry, but doing so in an automated way is where we see hyper-personalization moving. You know, a key consideration for all investors is and you know, when selecting a wealth manager is is the cost. Uh, which investors do you, do you see as considering personalization as a cost worth incurring? Millennials, in fact, given the shampoo example, in our survey in 2022, 64% of millennials said they're willing to pay more for personalized advice. And that's an interesting shift as we look at the wealth management space we would argue in some cases, not in all, but in some cases, fees have moved too far, potentially in the wrong direction to provide service in the way individuals need it and the education they need in the wealth management space. And so having the ability to differentiate fees based on personalized service will be a critical component of how wealth managers should think about the market as they fast forward. We also found actually the, those that were moving into retirement were willing to pay slightly more for advice because their needs are more complex. They're looking for security of their portfolio, and they really want that personalization in terms of an advisor walking them through how that asset withdrawal will look like. And then you've got the group in the middle that was pretty agnostic on paying higher or lower fees. 
interestingly there, about 50% said they'd pay for more in fees if the values of the firm aligned with their personal values, which is not what we expected to see. We expected the top concern or the top area that that generation or those that group of people would look at as performance of a portfolio. And that actually didn't come up at all in the top four areas that people were willing to pay more for. It was ethical business practices, vision and integrity, the approach to inclusion and social purpose are the top four reasons that those groups in between those who are looking for retirement and those that are coming into investing will pay more for that personalized advice. Yeah, that's really interesting. That that, that uh, it does appear to be a shift. Um, so let's move to trend three: self-directed investing. Uh, um, how how is the mix of self-directed advisor uh, uh, and uh, 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 you know self-directed and advisor-led investing changed over time? Uh, you know, when you and, and, and then when you think about it, when it comes to interge- intergenerational wealth transfer. Uh, you know, we we see less active investment by second and third generations. But but what are we seeing happening at, at this point? Yeah, we've seen we've absolutely seen a trend of increasing self-directed investors over the last let's call it fifteen years, and that trend coincided with a couple of things. One was the reboot of the market post the global financial crisis. The second was the ease of which data could be accessed. When we really look at the fintech revolution, most of the fintechs that were offering self-directed in a new way came out roughly about that time. And we saw this acceleration. So in fact, actually one in every five American has their own self-directed account now. The trading in those accounts, however, if we look at where we stand today, varies based on the market environment. And we also find that those that are nearing or into their next phase of life or retirement are less likely to have a self-directed account than those that are younger or newer in their career. And what we are finding, and actually we heard a great speaker a few months back that talked about the fact that most self-directed investors have a pool of money they know they can take risk with, and they're willing to take that risk. So we haven't seen much in the way of changes in terms of number of accounts. What we are seeing, though, is as that pool of assets grow or as life becomes more complex with families or careers or houses, et cetera, that pool starts to shift into a self-directed bucket still where people can make their investments, an advised portion of the portfolio, which is really for that stability for the future. And that's where we see advice and self-directed truly coming together. When we look at next gen in terms of second and third generation you're correct, they're less active. They also want some portion that they can control and personalize on their own. And we find that oftentimes they want the same wealth management organization to be able to support the fact that they've got a self-directed portfolio and they have an advised portfolio. So there's a natural transition. It hasn't been until really the pandemic that we saw wealth management firms start to recognize self-directed not as a competing product, but complementary to the pool of assets individuals will have, similar to a 401k. And actually, it remains a pretty small part of the portfolio. So really working with wealth management firms to digitize and understand that self-directed becomes a part of that overall um, evolution of an investment portfolio over time. 
Yeah, that's interesting because if you think about sort of the the original self-directed firms, they, they they went the other direction, right? Where they built out advisory business and and uh, having started, and now now you're seeing the sort of incumbent advisories go, you know going the other direction and recognizing the need for that sort of hybrid marketplace. Um, you, you're talking about the younger, uh, you know, the you talked about, you know, that, that particularly the younger generations are, are you know, looking at that and, and, and self-directed and wanting, you know, wanting to be active and putting their money to work. Um, the industry is, is act, you know, active in many areas, for instance, in, you know, things like unlocking the power of carbon markets to reach uh, global net zero. Are, are investors growing more willing to consider ESG investments and, you know, w- w- what what happens in the with future decisions from wealth managers fills investing related knowledge gaps with more concrete data and research yeah we have absolutely undisputedly seen the rise of sustainable investing or investing in environmental social and governance causes across the board over the last decade the industry's almost doubled in terms of assets under management Um, Where it's important, and this comes back to the hyper-personalization piece again, is the definition of sustainable investing. And the way I think about it is I grew up in a small logging community in Oregon. If you asked me to invest in something that went against the logging industry or the paper mills, I absolutely wouldn't do it because that's what put food on our family's table and the table of most of the people who lived in our small town. Um, But if you asked me to invest in other areas such as gender equality, I would have absolutely invested there. So it's going to be really important that advisors understand the value of their investors and then can tie the sustainable investing directly to those values. I'm also going to say, though, that reporting is going to be critical. And over the next five years, hopefully no more than that, but potentially a decade, having global standards for companies reporting in these areas will continue to become more important because with those global standards, you get consistency of data and you can really make the decisions about where and how you want to invest. For example, some of the biggest oil companies also spend the most on green energy research. How do you then distinguish between an oil company and a green company? And how do you bring that together in a way investors understand and advisors understand how those portfolios are built? So there's still a lot of questions to be answered, but I'd say we see that market picking up. Third comment is where there's a regulatory mandate for things like sustainable investing, climate change. We see growth happening much faster there in places like Europe than we do in some of the other countries around the globe where there's less regulation that's really helping build up that demand. Are, are you seeing, I'm curious, well, first of all, I'm, I'm well aware of, of Refinitiv's work and in, in, uh, looking at data around sustainability and uh, definitely a leader in that in that area. Uh, are, are, are you, you know, in, in terms of demand for ESG or sustainable investments, are, as you said, you're seeing that across the board. Are you seeing that in, in your data? Are you seeing that across the board, whether it's a self-directed or an, or an advised uh, 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 account? Yes, and we see greater demand in self-directed than advised, in part because as we look at the wealth management industry, data coming in about ESG is relatively new to the industry, Mm -hmm. and getting the advisors educated on that data 
Um, specifically though, in both areas, we actually see the growth tilted towards what I'll call thematic portfolios. So we're seeing a lot of growth in climate portfolios, for example, social bond portfolios, and I would argue lower growth in just your general ESG broad spectrum. That in part, again, is back to the data. We can have the best data, but without the corporate responsibility to report on all that data, um, then it makes it more challenging. The other area we see growth, and especially in self-directed, is providing data that's relative data on ESG. So if I have two portfolios, and those two portfolios, one has an ESG score of a four out of 10, and one has a six out of 10, but the performance and the risk are roughly equal over time, we are finding that when presented with that data, self-directed investors will actually purchase the ESG, higher rated ESG portfolio based on the data shown to them because they can achieve the same risk reward while doing good at the same time. As an industry, we're really working on making sure that the data is there so that wealth advisors and investors can have that data to truly make the decisions that aren't binary, but are that are inclusive of ESG as part of your investing portfolio. I think that's very interesting. I know when, we, when we've had different conferences, particularly with advisors, you know, that they talk about customer demand, but also, you know, how to model products for that. Um, you just to sort of close out two things, you know, we, you know, went through, we've seen incredible periods of, vol of volatility over the last, uh, last couple of years. Um, that's, that's come down from the peak. If you go back to, uh, obviously the onset of the pandemic in March, where the VIX really went, you know, blew through the roof and, and, and huge volumes and volatility. Uh, we had a little bit of that in 20 and 22, but it's, it's certainly tapered off looking at our data. Um, what, what has your data shown with respect to particularly self-directed investing, uh, uh, you know, as, you know, volatility was on, now it's off, or you, you said, you know, there's, there's still, you haven't seen a drop off in accounts, but have you seen a drop off in activity? We have seen a drop off. We've seen slower. Okay. Let me take a step back. We've seen three things. We've seen a stabilization of number accounts in terms of self-directed. So we have not seen a drop off. We've seen slower account openings for self-directed accounts in the industry and lower, lower trading volumes in times of high volatility. Um, we don't have the data to say why we're seeing that lower trading. We can all speculate on the fact that it, we may be seeing lower trading because folks are holding on to securities longer given the market downturn to try to recoup losses, uh, but we don't have that data yet. It's still to come. I would say that what we're finding as well is we are seeing with self-directed investors who now know what their tolerance for loss is, a review of what do the, does that portfolio look like? And from a wealth management side, advisors are having more inbound calls about potentially advised portfolios. So we are seeing again, not that they want to close that self-directed portfolio, but they are looking at what portion of assets do I move into advised? If I'm at a stage in my life where it's become more complex and I really want that security of an advised portfolio alongside my self-directed portfolio. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that, and, and underscores the importance of, of, of having the relationship, you know, with an advisor, given your circumstance. Um, I mean, maybe last question, what, you know, what would you say investors consider their number one source uh, for uh, investment information? 
It's a great question and one that we've thought a lot about. So our 2022 survey actually said 58% of investors and we surveyed thousands of investors rely on advisor-led advice, whether that's through media channels or directly with the advisor. 60% consider that the most reliable source of information, which is really interesting. So investors are looking towards advice firms and large asset management firms for that investment direction. Below that, it was public news. So you can think about all that they see on their self-directed brokerage app. It's really news and market sentiment, plus the advice that they're seeing coming through the market publicly from advisors and institutional investors that are driving how they're investing their portfolios, which great gives a great actual pathway from self-directed into that advice portfolio as we were just discussing. Well, uh, Sabrina, that's all we have time for today. I want to thank you very much for spending some time with us and, and for sharing the refinitive data. Uh, again, uh, uh, is a wealth of information and, and you all are, are always on top of so many things. It's just it, really interesting. And for uh, more information on uh, uh, SIFMA, as well as uh, uh, financial markets and the role of financial advisors and in, in investing, uh, please visit www.sifma.org. And again, Sabrina, thank you very much for being with us today. Yes, thank you very much.